We're back, blind by sports, quick fire intro. I'm Colin Fuchs, joined by Candy Clark on thecandyclark.com. Sean Clark, let's dive right in. English Premier League, Aston Villa, what the heck? Manchester United, even more heckish. Sean, let's break it down. Aston Villa versus Liverpool. The champions got a quick dose of reality. Uh, you know, coming in, they're coming in, being at the top four, looking comfortable, coming to have a nice season. Aston Villa said, let's pump the brakes there, pal, as they trounced the defending champions 7-2. to two. Aston Villa packed their bags and sent Liverpool back home for them. Sean, what are your thoughts on this match? Obviously, a huge shock to the defending champions. Love the quick fire rapid intro. Love the enthusiasm. All right. Austin Villa defeated Liverpool 7-2 in what is possibly one of, if not the most shocking results I have ever seen in the Premier League. And this is the fourth or fifth season I have started watching the Premier League. And I don't think I've ever seen a more shocking result than this. Austin Villa was 17th place in the Premier League last year. They were the last club to survive. They only survived because Arsenal decided to drop the ball and lose one to nothing to Austin Villa for whatever reason. It's the only reason Austin Villa is still in the Premier League. Well, I'm actually extremely thankful that Austin Villa is still here because they gave us an absolute show. Yes, at the time, Talladega race was going on NASCAR, which was one of the wildest races of all time. We had NFL Sunday, but this was just as crazy, if not even crazier. I will write an article for the cancart.com breaking this down because it deserves it because what the heck. But to keep it somewhat brief, this is the first time since 1963 Liverpool conceded seven goals in a match. 1963. That is almost 60 years ago, Colin. And I thought we were old, but that is 60 years ago. Also, this is the first time in 70 years the defending champions have conceded seven goals in a match. That is unbelievable. And I have three things I want to quickly point about Austin Villa. Because to me, this was more about how good Austin Villa was than Liverpool bad. Liverpool, yes, they their back line was not very good. Their midfield could not maintain possession like they did against Arsenal. And except for Mo Salah, they couldn't finish their chances. But Austin Villa, wow. Three things. First of all, Emiliano Martinez, who was bought from Arsenal, ironically enough. He has only conceded one goal in three matches to start the season. He did concede two against Liverpool, but only two goals in the first three matches and there are two goals against Liverpool. That's not bad. That's also not bad considering that Martinez had six saves in this match. Yes, Emiliano Martinez with six saves in this game. Unbelievable from... Emiliano Martinez. Second thing, how about Ross Barkley on loan from Chelsea? He is just creating shot after shot. He missed two wide open chances. He also set up two goals where he didn't get credit for the assist because he passed it to a player who then passed for a goal. So as I look at it, kind of a semi-system, Ross Barkley is a phenomenal playmaker with Austin Villa. And I just love the, the dynamic he brings. Also, Got to talk about him. The captain, Jack Grealish, who had two goals, three assists. Great playmaker for this club. Austin Villa is a legit club, unlike last season where they barely survived. I can't wait to see what they do against other top clubs. 
I think they're a scary team. I think this more, this more shows how good Austin Villa will be versus how bad Liverpool is. I think Liverpool was just caught by surprise. We all were. Did anyone expect Austin Villa to win this match? No. Did you? No, I, I can't say that I, I was, Sean. Uh, you know, you mentioned it yourself. You brought up Jack Grealish. You brought up uh, former Evertonian, now Chelsea, Ross Barkley, found the back of the net. But we got to talk Ollie Watkins here, though, too. I mean, the kid was sensational for them last year, bagged himself a hat trick. He's only 24 years old. He was the EFL Championship Player of the Year and also Young Player of the Year for Aston Villa back when they were playing in the championship. And obviously, now here they are in the Premier League, sitting at second place. Now, you brought up Emiliano Martinez. You're obviously very familiar with his work as he had quite the tenure with Arsenal now finds himself in the in between the posts for Aston Villa. Yes, you brought up he's conceded two goals or three goals now. This is actually the first goals they've conceded in the Premier League this season. They had had three straight shutouts until facing the defending champions, who two straight shutouts, my apologies, since obviously the start of the season. But you're talking about a front three that has Roberto Firmino, that has Mohamed Salah, who has an attacking duo uh, uh, even on their wing-back play with Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, who has the aerial threats of Virgil van Dijk. Obviously, we have to look at Adrian, though, for in, who is taking cover for an injured, yeah, in the injured Brazilian. It's just unfortunate to see Alisson, who was, who's been spectacular, who's always been one of the bright spots for Liverpool, uh, having to sit on the sidelines due to an injury. Adrian had a chance to prove himself. Oh God, that first, the first goal going out to Joe Gomez was a terrible pass, easy finish, cool as you like. And that just started a trend that Austin Villa, you know, as a fan, you love to see it. And so Adrian is going to be potentially a nightmare. He did make up for it with a couple key saves at points, but those key saves, quote unquote, were way too late for Liverpool to do anything worth it. Mo Salah continues to be the only viable attacking threat considering Roberto Firmino just chooses not to score apparently and Sadio Mane not being out there on the field really really hurts hurts this club so let's see what Liverpool can do and what Jurgen Klopp can do with this club who like like we've mentioned multiple times this is not the same club that started last season at the beginning of last season where they looked untouchable and they wanted to have that undefeated season they, this is not that same club anymore. And I don't, I really don't know what Liverpool is going to do if they consider, continue to concede goals and not have great communication, especially with a back line that's so familiar with each other. But moving on from one blowout to another, you, Sean, as a Arsenal fan, will be happy about this. Or not, won't be happy about this, my apologies. But Tottenham blew out Man United. You might be a little happy about it. Blew out Man United. Uh, six to one. Uh, Harry Maguire for United has just been dreadful with this signing. Uh, Everyone, you know, talks so highly about it. They've paid him so much money. Uh, But, and then, you know, United was decided, hey, you know, let's go out and pursue quality midfielder, Englishman, Jadon Sancho. And I think United were so focused on getting Jadon Sancho and, you know, obviously that ultimately failing, that's not happening anymore that they forgot to sign some quality defenders. You know, they had that tunnel vision. And sometimes when you have tunnel vision, things are going to bypass you on the freeway there. Some viable options. We're getting some more traffic talk here, Sean. We'll get that later. 
Uh, Sung Hyun Min obviously shows why he continues to be Tottenham's best player. I've mentioned him in the weeks past as to why I think Tottenham could even finish in the top four. And then a healthy Harry Kane, Sean, is a dangerous Harry Kane. It's rare that we've seen him have a full, complete season. He always seems to have some kind of knee or leg injury. But, man, Harry Kane looks good, especially when he's not required to score all the time. He now has a viable threat uh, in Sung Hyun Min, who just continues to show. And remember, he came into this match having a hamstring issue. I don't know. I don't see any hamstring issue there. He burned by the United back line, found the back of the net. He looks, he looks fantastic. Tottenham looked pretty, pretty darn good, Sean. What are your thoughts on this match? Well, first of all, to clarify, as much as I dislike Tottenham, I do have respect for them. What they did in 2019, that was when you and I started Blinded by Sports. 2019 was something that we'll never forget, and they made it to the Champions League final with grit and passion, which was fun to watch. Even though Tottenham is Arsenal's biggest rival, and I will almost never root for them, I also cannot stand Manchester United, possibly even less than Tottenham. The thing about Manchester United is they are arrogant. They don't have cohesion. They don't build up team chemistry. And guess what? They are content with a bunch of homegrown players that are terrible. Luke Shaw, Phil Jones, anybody? Anybody? Yikes, not me. (laughs) Yeah, no. So Manchester United is very unlikable. And guess what? They were flat out exposed. All four of their defenders had a had were their match rating was under a 5.0. And 5.0 is the rating you start off at every match. The fact that it was under 5.0 is terrible. The thing about Manchester United is that they haven't had a true striker on top of any semblance of a backline whatsoever. Yes. During Project Restart, their monstrous front line was incredible. We've talked about it a lot. And their, their front line is still fantastic. Bruno Fernandes is a stud. You know, he, is, he, he seems to score every single penalty possible. But they didn't have that true striker. They shuffled in Mason Greenwood, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, in and out of the striker spot. Well, guess what? They got one in Edison Cavani. And they also got an upgraded left back in Alex Tellez. Two fantastic signs. I did write a briefing on this, so check out thecanclark.com for that. But even with Tellus, even with Cavani, Manchester United still has many issues. I think they need a new manager. I think Ole has got to go. He doesn't seem to instill passion and discipline into this club. Six, losing 6-1, to one, on top of losing 3-1 to one at Crystal Palace, both at home are unacceptable. Yeah, you definitely. Definitely unacceptable. And Ole Gunnar Man United have this affinity for their former players, and they should. You know, I mean, you look at look at the success that they have brought in them. Uh, Ole has played for them. You know, Wayne Rooney is now coaching down for I believe it's Derby County. Why didn't they pick up Wayne Rooney to coach this team? He knows this. He knows this club better than anyone, being their top scorer and everything. Uh, I think he would have been a viable option to replace him. But you, you mentioned, you know, not having the passion. This team looked passionate, and they were red hot coming after Project Restart. We couldn't stop talking about that front three and Bruno Flopnandez. Um, yeah, I hope you, hope you caught that nickname there. Uh, but if it's not a penalty kick, they, they can't seem to find the back of the net. That's going to continue to bite them in the bud, especially when you – yes, I get you signed Edison Cavani, which is great and all, but this is – 
he's not the same Cavani that you were going to get when you had, you know, that Barcelona PSG match years ago, who just seemed to find the goal with ease. And I really don't think if you can, if you don't have guys that are providing the same quality, Cavani's not, you know, isn't at that ripe age anymore to where he's in his prime. He's kind of past that point. Now he's almost MLS ready. I, I don't, it's only a one-year contract too. He has the option to extend. I don't see him extending this contract. I really don't see this fit being perfect. I digress. We'll continue with that later. Let's move on, Sean, to a team to really be, who's shocking, I think, the entire league, taking the league by storm. Everton, you know, the, the different blues, uh, is currently four out of four, four wins, sitting at the top of the table at 12 points. What's your take here on Everton? Because this is a club that who knew that one signing was going to make them a big threat. There's a reason that when James Rodriguez signed with Everton that I wrote about it because I saw this signing as a potential to be huge. I'm not surprised by this. I knew this was going to happen. Now, did I think they're going to be at the top of the table? No, I but I'm not surprised at how much success I've had. Hamas Rodriguez is a superstar. I know he has been criticized. I get he has had his struggles with Real Madrid. I get that. I get he has some work ethic problems. But here's the thing. With the Colombia national team, he has been a superstar going back to 2014 when he won the Golden Boot at the World Cup. How many players do that? Very few. As a midfielder. <laughs> As a midfielder, exactly. Not as a striker like Harry Kane four year, two years ago, but as a midfielder. Thomas Rodriguez, if you give him the keys to your offense, he will make them better. Why well, I think Colombia is a consistent threat at the international level. And why did they lose to England in the round of 16 of the World Cup? Because Thomas didn't play. They would have beaten England if he had played. I am very convinced about that. Thomas Rodriguez finally got the perfect team. Everton's basically like Colombia on the club level, if you think about it. Colombia has a lot of nice players, but no superstars besides James. Oh, wait, both, both Everton and Colombia also have Jerry Mina, who are star center backs. Oh, look at that. The comparisons. James Rodriguez feels right at home because Everton is like Colombia. And I'll tell you what. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is basically channeling his inner Radamel Falcao and just bearing goal after goal after goal after goal. He has six goals to start the season. He's he's tied with uh, Harry Kane at the top of the golden boot race. Everton is explosive. There was a play in Everton's win this weekend where Hamas Rodriguez intercepted a pass, bypassing it to set up a counterattack, and Everton scored. Watch Everton highlights. They are phenomenal. Everton is explosive. I don't know how long this will keep up because the back line isn't the greatest, but they have a very solid all-around team. There's not like a glaring weakness on this team. Heck, Manchester United, Arsenal, and Chelsea have bigger glaring weak points than Everton does. And if and if and as long as Hamas and Calvert-Lewin can continue to stay healthy and play well, I can see them being in the Champions League. I generally can, which is crazy. And I'll just leave it at this. I wrote in the middle of Project Restart that Everton needs a game changer. They got one, and look where they are. I'm just saying, I told you so. Check out uh, Clark's Fortunes, you know, his own new thing. <laughs> Coming soon on the Candid Clark here. <laughs> no, Sean, but you, you bring up a valid point. 
first off, Carla Ancelotti, obviously coming over into Everton. What's the first thing he does taking over as club manager? Signs his former former player for years in James Rodriguez. These two have developed a relationship over years over all the different clubs that James has played for. And there's a reason he keeps, Ancelotti keeps bringing James Rodriguez back to every club is because he knows he's a difference maker. And that's exactly what you talked about is Everton needing a difference maker. In seasons past, the biggest issue that Everton had is they didn't have a true playmaker. They didn't have a true midfielder who was there to set up plays. But you look at, I mean, obviously we, we talked Ross Barkley, who's now in Chelsea the last few seasons. He helped provide that a little bit, but he's not James Rodriguez. He's more of a, he's more of a defensive midfielder type. He's more of a, I'm going to bowl you down and then beat you with my speed. James has so much class about his ability. And then they look to Richarlson in seasons past as well to kind of be that playmaker. He is more of a number seven. He is more of a striker. James is a true number 10, though. He's able to spray the ball wherever he pleases. We've seen him in the last couple of matches just playing long balls, switching the, switching the attack to the opposite side of the field, playing in a beautiful through to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who now, Sean, has halved his total goals that he had last season already. He, they're only a four games in the season and he's got six goals. He had 13 all of last season. And so for him, to, for this to be his breakout season would not be an understatement by any means. And it's because he finally has some quality providing him some great balls because James allows for that pressure that Richarlson, that Goofy Sigurdsson, that DeCorey was having on themselves, you know, to create those plays, you know, get that through ball in a lot, be that wide option he takes that away from them to be the players that they're meant to be, to be that wide attacking option. So James can kind of let the ball come to him, let the game find him and then let him decide where the ball should go because he's making those executive decisions. He's the president right now on that field. He should be wearing the captain's armband at any point. And so this is, it's, it's what he, it's what he's meant to be doing. He's dictating the pace of play. He's letting players know what's going wrong, what's going right. This, this is a strong Everton team. And you talk their back line. I don't think they're really all that bad. They obviously could be better. They don't have any big names standing out there except for Yerry Mina, which you discussed. This is, a, this is a quality Everton team. And I think their biggest test coming up against the defending champions who are going to look to bounce back, obviously, from the 7-2 loss. If they can pull out a win against the defending champions, Everton is to be taken seriously this season. And that is not an understatement by any means. But moving on to a team who has been a surprise to us, to a player or a, t or a club, mind you, who looked to be getting red hot, you know, and then a quick bucket named Chicharito came out to put that in, to put that fire out. The LA Galaxy, moving over across the pond, as we love to do here on Blinded by Sports, are now winless. Continue to be winless, mind you, since they have made their designated player signing of Chicharito, Javier Hernandez, the super sub, the Mexican super sub. They're winless, Sean. What, what is wrong with the Galaxy? Why is it that they can't seem to get any wins when Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, who's supposed to be the superstar, you know, filling in the shoes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Robbie Keane, trying to be their true number nine, why can't he get it done? First of all, the record the LA Galaxy had with Chicharito starting is 0-6. 0-6. 
The record without him, four wins, one draw, three losses. They are winless. Now, the biggest reason for this is simple. They try to force the ball to Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was the striker for LA Galaxy. Guess what, though? It's Zlatan. It worked. Zlatan is a superstar. Chicharito has never been a superstar. There's a reason he has bounced around from club to club to club to club to club because he's not a superstar. The guy literally went from the top clubs to mediocre clubs and then to the MLS. He has done the reverse path, if you think about it. Chicharito is never a superstar, and LA Galaxy tried to feed him, and it doesn't work. The Galaxy's back line is mediocre. The midfield is mediocre. David Bingham's the best player on this team besides Christian Pavone. That's it. All they have is Bingham and Christian Pavone. They don't have the talent to make up for when Chicharito doesn't score. This was a bad signing. You called it, Colin. This was a bad signing. It really was a bad signing. And I mean, like you've mentioned, he's bounced around from club to club. You look at the, the clubs he's played for. They're not slouches by it. I mean, Byron Leverkusen, Manchester United, Real Madrid, obviously a star for the Mexico national team for a long time, West Ham, Sevilla. And now here he's landed in, you know, under the lights at, for the Los Angeles Galaxy, here to be this superstar. And you, you mentioned that he hasn't really been a superstar I would argue that he was at least for Leverkusen when he had 17 goals in 2015 and then the following season had 11 but he does seem to he does seem to bounce around and I don't know if it's because he carries a negative energy about him if it's because he you know keeps being told that he is all that in a bag of chips or whatever you want to call it but we we discussed this in weeks past as well Chicharito, when he is on the pitch, the LA Galaxy turn into El Trafico. They become one-lane traffic. That's what happens. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're in this terrible habit of trying to play through one narrow channel, and that's through Javier Hernandez, to not only be a playmaker, but to be a goal scorer as well. Granted, he has been unfortunate by hitting the post a couple times, finding the crossbar, missing or having a great save on him. But he's still not the threat that you need. Yes, you mentioned it. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that's Zlatan. He's almost 40 years old, and he's still scoring in Serie A play. Chicharito, who's in his, what, low 30s, can't even, can barely find the back of the net in MLS play? I mean, come on. This is what you resigned the big money for. He's only here to collect a paycheck and retire comfortably here in the United States, be next to his family, probably out in Mexico, I'm sure bring them up at some point to give them a nice house to live in if he had done that already. But he's eventually going to have to change his nickname from Chicharito to El Escano or The Bench because that's what he'll be writing here soon. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Sebastian Legette and Christian Pavone, they've been the stars for this team. And you brought up David Bingham. You said he's a top five keeper. Not close. That's fine. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, Chicharito does not does not deserve to be a designated player. He deserves to be getting average player salary at best. Moving on from that though, staying from football now to football. You know, we love to skip the pond and now football to football. Sean, you you wanted to discuss your favorite team, obviously, as uh, Cam Newton is now out so far, at least under quarantine, until he proves negative for coronavirus. You know, we're finally getting these positive tests we've all been expecting to see at some point. We've seen 
uh, games postponed. Obviously, the Titans being noticeable on that. And then the Steelers as well. And now we've got, you know, the New England Patriots having to deal with their superstar Cam Newton, who was supposed to take over the reins for Tom Brady. Sean, fill us in. Tell us all about it. What's going on in your world in New England? All right. Basically, we got a four o'clock my time game on CBS 7 Eastern of Jim Nance and Tony Romo on a Monday evening alongside another Monday night football game. Truly strange atmosphere. It was, it was cool, but unfortunately Brian Hoyer and Jared Sidham decide to just ruin a great defensive performance. The chief didn't score a touchdown the first half, but Brian Hoyer's like, Oh, let me take a sack at the end of the first half when we have no timeouts. Oh, uh, let me just fumble the ball after like a 10, 12 play drive in the red zone. Oh yeah. Uh, referees. Let's, let's miss the obvious fumble on Patrick Mahomes. Oh, Jared Sidham, I'm going to throw two interceptions. Jared, Julian Elman. Oh, I'm going to drop three passes. If I'm the defense, I'm going to, the, the offense needs to apologize to the defense. They wasted a great defensive game plan from Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time. And it's, this shows just how valuable Cam Newton is to this team his dual threat skills are incredible. They are irreplaceable. I really wish they had him against Kansas City because I think they would have had a legit chance to knock off the best team in the NFL. But they didn't. Patriots are now two and two. Hopefully, Cam Newton comes back when the Patriots play the Broncos. We'll see what happens. Great defense. Great performance by defense. Great performance from Damian Harris. But ugh, offense that was terrible. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate, especially because you you mentioned it. The Chiefs are argue not even arguably are the best team in the NFL. Uh, that could have changed if the Chargers would have beaten them, which is actually where I'm heading to. I want to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. I know transitions. I'm good at it. <laughs> uh, I see you. To, Sean obviously took on your former quarterback, probably I would argue maybe the love of your life at one point, uh, Tom Brady, who is second. now over. Second love of his life. Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is my favorite. How how do you not love the guy? I mean, just he he's the definition of Jersey Shore, Jim Tan Laundry all day, every day. Oh yeah. (laughs) But we talked about he took on the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. And he went toe-to-toe with him in Justin Herbert. This is who I more wanted to focus on. We could focus on the team itself, but I want to focus on Justin Herbert specifically. Obviously, the rookie coming out of Oregon, having a pretty uh, stellar season in the Pac-12, stellar stellar career in the Pac-12 in general, uh, was a surprise fill-in when after a doctor punctured the lung of former Buffalo Bill Tyrod Taylor, uh, who was going to fill in for, you know, for – now departed uh, Philip Rivers going to take that starting spot. And while he hasn't been great for the team, he hasn't been perfect as he's thrown an interception in almost every game he's played in. Uh, he's not that bad. I got to be honest. He comes in at being 6'6", 240 pounds. Dude is massive for a quarterback. He's putting up Cam Newton type numbers like that. He went 20 for 25 in the last game, throwing for 66%. Against Tom Brady's Tampa Bay, which arguably has a terrible defense. Uh, but he threw for three touchdowns and one interception, which Tom Brady probably gave him a nice little nod, nice little elbow bump at the end of that game going, hey, kid, good job. Obviously, we edged you out just by a touchdown as Herbert threw the unfortunate interception with two minutes, two minutes and 50 seconds left towards the end of the game when they were pushing downfield. But you have to look at Herbert's offensive weapons that he has. He doesn't have the deep threat of Mike Williams, who's currently out with an injury. 
but he's starting to develop a relationship with Keenan Allen and the rest of company, the rest of that receiver company there. The Chargers, I think, are still a few key pieces from making any solid moves as they're one and three and currently sit fourth in their division. But Justin Herbert, I think, is going to continue to be their starting quarterback. Say Tyrod Taylor is ready to come back next week, and there's a chance he could be. I see a tough decision there in the front office for the L.A. Chargers of who do we go with, Tyrod or Herbert? Because Herbert, especially now that he's developed that relationship, you know, he didn't get an offseason coming out of his, you know, out of his college career to get that relationship. He's coming in being a rookie quarterback, having to work with these experienced wide receivers. So let's uh, let's hope that he gets some experience developed here. Sean, any thoughts before we get you signed off so you can make it to class on time? What a throw to – what a throw. 75 yards. <laughs> oh, that was an incredible throw. Just an absolute dime. Just dropped it in over the defensive backs, 50 yards, and then Guyton took it all the way the rest. That was a phenomenal play. I'm excited to see what he does going forward. I thought he was going to be a bust. I was wrong so far. I'm glad I started him in my fantasy week. Any last-minute thoughts, Sean, before we head out? Um. Uh, Premier League's been exciting. Unfortunately, we have the international break, but one thing's going to come up for it because our dear Colin Fugis is going to write an article on U.S. men's national team. Look forward to that. I can't wait to read it. You know, I love my U.S. men's national team. Well, for Sean Clark, the candid Clark himself, I'm Colin Fuchs. This has been Blinded by Sports. For more content, please check us out on Spotify at Blinded by Sports or check us out on thecandidclark.com uh, for all sports and even entertainment and media post whatever you may like check it out lots of great stuff on there i'm colin fuchs and we will see you next week